everybody, Teresa Colley, your Catholic girl on the radio from At The Word with Rita. Today we're going to be talking about how mercy begins at home and we have an amazing interview coming up today with Bree Dale, the wonderful Catholic journalist. Stay tuned. So you guys, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 19, he said, Go home to your family and announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. Now here in this context, Jesus is talking to someone that's probably told him, um, I want to come follow you. And Jesus says, go back home and tell, tell them what the Lord has done for you. So a lot of times, I think we take that for granted. When we think, okay, God is calling me for something great. We assume that it's not going to be within our own home. That God has done something so big in my life that I want to leave everything and I want to uh, to go follow him in these distant lands. But to leave everything and to follow Christ doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it physically, right? Um, there are, of course, like physical aspects that you can do, like, for example, going to volunteer at the local shelter. But you don't have to cross seas to follow God. Sometimes what he says, he said, okay, Look, I'm doing these amazing, great things in your life. But what I want you to do is not go to a distant land, but go home. Go home and tell your family, tell your friends, tell everyone you know. And not by forcing God on them, obviously, you guys. That's not how we tell people. But we live Christianity. We live as if God is truly doing something in our lives. And people can tell by the fruit. I mean, think about this way. If you walk by an apple tree, the apple tree doesn't tell you or holler at you. It's like, hey, 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 come here, come here. I'm an apple tree. No, the apple tree remains quiet. It grows in through the seasons and it grows to produce fruit. And by the fruit, we know, we recognize that this is an apple tree. And at times for us, it's the same. At times for us, we have to keep um, keep that mentality in mind that God is working in us and he does that. We live according to his, to his promises, according to what he has done for us. And when we do that, we will bear fruit and they will know that we are his. And by this, we can be announcing to the world that we are God's and that he has done amazing things in our lives. And we really have to just keep that in mind as we're going. And not, not that I'm saying that you shouldn't tell people that you are Christian or you shouldn't talk about Christ or discuss uh, Jesus in any situation. Absolutely not. As you can tell, you're on. I'm on the radio and you guys are listening to this. So uh, we're talking about Jesus. Um, so obviously, if you get a chance to go tell the world about him, do that if that's what he's calling you to do. But sometimes really all he wants us to do is go home and live a good Christian life and tell the world that God has had pity on me through actions, through prayers, through um, through works. And really, sometimes you tell the world by prayers. Sometimes I can't tell uh, this so-and-so that God is doing amazing things in my life because so-and-so doesn't believe at all. But what do we do? We pray for those people. We pray for them. One thing that uh, St. Bajita always said was, Love the Lord and pray for those who do not know him. What a grace it is to know God. And we really, it's a grace to know God. And so if we can't tell them verbally and we can't show them with works, then we can definitely, absolutely, without a trace of doubt, pray for that person. And that starts sometimes at home. Go home to your family and announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. All right, you guys, so this concludes our reflection portion of the day. Now we're headed over to the interview with Bree Dale, and she's going to tell us all about the ministry that she has. All right, so joining me today is Bree Dale, and I'm so excited to have her because she is an amazing person, and I know, I know I always tell you my guests are amazing because, well, they are, but let me tell you why she's so cool. So Bree is a journalist. She 
does a lot of journalism uh, for Catholic outlets. She does a lot of for secular outlets as well. So she's very involved in the church. And honestly, she keeps me up to date. Anytime I go on Facebook, she has her, she posts these great stories and I'm like, hey, I'm so glad I know this. Um, and she's also the international coordinator for the Holy League of Nations. These are the people that brought us rosary coast to coast. Remember that one time we all kind of got together and prayed the rosary? Well, yeah, it was them. So they've also worked with, um, they also, the, the whole League of Nations got uh, Lebanon involved. They got Ayre involved. They got Flustine involved. So it was pretty cool to have the Arab countries actually involved in all of this as well. Hi, Brie. Hi, how are you? Thank you for letting me on your wonderful show. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited for you uh, to tell our guest about yourself, about your work, and about everything you want to talk about today. So <laughs> tell me, how's it like being a journalist in the Catholic world? <laughs> wow, that's a huge loaded question. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, right. I mean, hallelujah, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, it, we're in some really interesting times, aren't we? And um, I'll tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy. I think when you love the church, you want to serve the truth. And um, I have found, Rita, that there have been a lot of instances of individuals in the media. You know, we hear a lot about, you know, quote, quote unquote, fake news and, uh, and journalists not really, you know, working on doing investigative work and providing the facts. And that is actually something that happens in both secular press as well as in uh, Catholic press. And unfortunately, I, I think in the last, um, you know, few years where I've really put a lot of focus in the Catholic media world, I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of manipulation of facts, a lot of um, fear mongering, a lot of individuals turning blind eyes to facts, and a lot of people not wanting to tell the truth or, or manipulating the truth. And so for me, Rita, um, it's been not only eye opening, but it's also been almost a calling to try to um, push through all of that rhetoric and all of that um, bias and just present people with um, stories and, uh, factual, um, reports, uh, about what's going on in the church and how that affects the world and help, um, engage a conversation, usually civil. Sometimes we'll end up having people who are not very civil, but really, um, engage people in conversation and critical thinking at this point in order to discern, because there's a lot, if something I said to the other day to, um, a friend of mine who's in Catholic journalism as well there, you know, we're, we look at the truth and we know truth who is Christ. He is, you know, fully alive and fully engaged in the church. Um, but there's a lot of murkiness now and there's a lot of gray areas and there's a lot of things that are happening in the world in the same way. And it's really hard to push through like what is true, what is false, what is propaganda, what is not propaganda. So, What's it like to be a journalist in today's society? I think as long as you um, are, your focus is serving the truth, it's not any different than any other time in history. Um, but I think there are a lot of people nowadays who call themselves journalists who aren't interested in serving the truth, but serving their truth, you know. So um, I pray that, um, and I, I ask others to... Um, to keep me honest, and I know that there are people who will call me out if if it's uh, if if I'm not presenting something completely factual, which I I really try to do. That I try to get away, like I try to step out of of the limelight and put the focus on the story. You know, um, so that's that's maybe the long and short in answering your question. <laughs> you know, the thing is that I've seen is that there's a lot of there's a lot of ugliness going on in the church today. That's the, right. I, I think that's the truth is we are afraid of facing the truth. Mm. Um, and I think people either love the church or they hate the church because of the, you know, they're either ignoring the, like all the bad stuff that are happening or they're just focusing on the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think yes. when people, 
when something is so holy, you don't want to even believe that something is being defiled. Right. Right. And we know this in history. I mean, we, we can look, we were talking off, we were talking off earlier about, you know, how in Lebanon, you've got, you know, 2000 years of, of history of the church, you know, from the foundation of the church, Lebanon was there. Um, you know, it's, it's something that we, I see as being an issue in the West in particular. Um, and there is a, there is a quasi heresy involved with this, especially in the United States. Um, Americans were, um, you know, with, with, of course, we, we gather a lot of our, our Catholicism coming from our different, you know, ancestors coming over to the United States. Um, and there's that. Um, but in, in the tradition of the foundation of our country, it is very puritanical. It's very Protestant. And a lot of that has kind of come in, seeped into the Catholic Church in the United States. And um, you know, in Europe, we see a lot of empathy. Like we we see a lot of people just kind of stepping back and being like, "Oh, culturally, we're Catholic and we have these traditions, but we don't really have the intellectual wherewithal or the heart desire to be close to Christ in an authentic way." In the Catholic Church in the United States, what I've seen is a very large division. You've got a large group of individuals who really don't know anything about their faith. Um, and so, uh, you know, but have been for decades and decades kind of inundated with this kumbaya, you know, hand holding, fluffy, you know, not really authentic Catholicism. Um, it's just kind of, uh, it, the scripture says it, I think in James where, you know, pr- there would be a time when preachers would come that would tickle the ears of people who want to. So it was more like people, James was saying like, people are going to want to hear what they want to hear from their preachers or from their priests, you know, and as long as that's the case, then we're, we're fine. I find that there's a lot of people like that in the, in the American church, but I also see that there is a group of individuals who are, um, and I'm, I'm part of this group who we would call a traditionalist group who really love the traditions of the church, um, and really have that authentic desire for the beauty and, you know, the, the smells and bells as you want to call it like the, the incense and, and, you know, the church, um, being, you know, really traditional and maybe the Latin mass. Um, but then you have them also really become very puritanical. This is the only way you do it. This is, you know, this is, it's only, and so it becomes almost black and white. And why I bring that up is because, you know, in the church today, we see a lot of the negative coming out, the sex abuse crisis or, you know, a financial crisis. And um, there is a tendency, I think, within especially Americans within that traditional sect to want to withdraw within themselves and kind of formulate their own little communica- uh, communities. And that doesn't really seem to mesh very well with how, you know, Christ um, gave us in, in the Gospels to go and preach to all nations. And it doesn't seem to really draw people into wanting to join those little groups. You know, why would you want to join, a, a, you know, a, a group that's very cut off from the world? So... So, um, you, yeah. you brought up uh, traditionalists, and what I do have like a few things to say about traditionalists per se. Um, yeah, as someone who's not Roman Catholic, and mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in the Roman Catholic Church, I go to daily mass, and I go to daily mass in the Roman Catholic Church, and I found that traditionalists think that they are the only Catholics in the world. <laughs> and, yes, and it's like, honey. You wouldn't be if it were if we were not. If if I really want to talk historically, we were there first. You know, the first <laughs> the person you tell is your neighbor, and um, we just happen to be the neighbor. So, right. um, and that's something that deters me. And it, and and then the there's the other part of it is um, that there's this assumption that it's either our way or no way. Exactly, well, no, mm-hmm. which. Uh, you know, I'm it's very, very, it's very puritanical, but do you see where if you take a look at the history of our country, and that's why I said there's a quasi um, heresy here, um, because it, the history of our country is very puritanical, and the Puritans, 
it really believed number one in predestination. And so it was either black or white, either you were saved or you were not saved. And if you're not saved, you'll never be saved. There was nothing that you can do. Right. Mm. Um, it was very, it was, it was so, um, stark in the way that um, they approached things that you can see that kind of reflected in what you've seen and what you're describing. And it's not all traditionalists, but there is quite a, a few, quite a loud, a loud group of individuals who are this way. But do you, um, do you think that traditionalists in Europe are different? From what I've been told by my European um, friends, uh, it's a different form. Um, there are definitely, I, I have seen within the American community, actually even worse isolationist, um, even drawing towards like, uh, like, uh, extreme groups, um, because of this whole idea of we have, we are the only ones who know we have the secret knowledge. That's another, that, that is also a heresy, um, Pelagianism, which is we have the secret knowledge. We know the right way, but we have to preserve the right way. And so we need to separate ourselves from other people because those people um, potentially could come in and usurp that and make it their own. And it, it's very much like a victim mentality, which is something that Rita, I mean, looking at the Middle Eastern churches or looking at the church in China, for example, who really experienced throughout the, the you know, the ages what it means to really be tested in faith, um, you find such a simplicity and joy within the communities. It's not perfect, you can speak to that, but it's such a welcoming nature within um, the Maronite or like the Malchite or, you know, Coptic. You really, you find a lot of just warmth and culture and it's part of the family. It's inundated within the who you are, um, where it, it feels like, at least within the traditionals in in America, um, it's almost like an adoption. It's a it, and then it's it's not part of who you are. You you start to adopt this way, and then and you become more and more isolated. And that's kind of the sense that I get. But in Europe, um, I honestly I think that it's it's a different mentality. I feel like they're just trying to survive in Europe. I'm sure that there are pockets of individuals who are that way though too. Yeah. So. Um... I just feel like there's always this um, almost like a not necessarily a brainwashing, but it's kind of like to those who are very extreme, like I've seen some friends that post stuff on Facebook and so forth. And I'm like, okay, well, you're pushing all these other people away that could come come to Christ. And they're seeing all these posts let's say and um and i'm obviously we are on the show called catholic girl on the radio on a secular radio so obviously i'm very devoted to my faith um so this is some coming from someone who has some kind of a foundational knowledge of catholicism and Mm. i still feel like i'm like "Mm, i i can't i can't relate to you very well you know what I no, mean? No, it's it's like um, you know, it's like uh, when when you um, when you see, for example, I've I've run into individuals who will say like um, how someone is dressed is not appropriate, and we've seen that at mass where like you've seen a girl who might not be dressed appropriately um, going into into mass, and it, it's not about like you know oh that it's judging that person it's really more just being like look you don't want to like cause like scandal like why are you wearing this mini skirt right um yeah and you know it may not be the thing that you want to wear when you meet a king you know like would you wear that um or how would you dress you know and just kind of that kind of but you know if you if if you are you know dress up nicely and you wear like a, a nice pair of jeans and a pair of heels and you go in and you are judged because you're not wearing a, a skirt ankle long and like a high, high yeah. waisted neck. Like what, like, how do you bring, like, how is that bringing someone closer to Christ? Like how, how are you charismatically bringing that individual? I don't know. It's uh, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. You know, something that I've always thought about is, um, I, I always felt like sometimes I go to parties and I get dressed up and I get, then I look pretty and so forth. And mm. I end up talking to, to different people at these parties and especially guys that really come up to me just because they think I'm pretty. And I'm not saying I am right. you guys. I'm just saying that it, it happens. Uh, <laughs> I'm not like yeah, doing my not? own heart. But, 
Um, but you know, like, and I think every girl experiences that, but generally come up to me and just talk, um, talk to me because I look nice and they're attracted, attracted to the way I look. And I end up opening my mouth and I end up talking about God and oddly enough, they end up listening for like an hour or so. Right. Um, which I, I think, you know, like if I didn't look as good as I tried to look that day for that event, um, then they would have never talked to me and maybe I would have never well, talked I, to them know, about like, God. You know? If you go to like the traditional Latin mass, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, it's filled with imagery and it, it's the, the worship is so focused on Christ and it's, it's really incredible. It's beautiful. Even if you go to a low mass, which is very silent and you don't have the music and the incense and whatnot, it's still so focused on Christ and it's so beautiful. And I know that in the different Eastern rites too, I mean, Everything means something. The icons mm-hmm. mean something. Every, and it's part of who we are. It's like you go into a church, it's supposed to be beautiful. So shouldn't there, I, I heard this from a Protestant one time who said to me, like Catholic women should be the most beautiful in the world because yes. of the, like what we have, like what we have, if we truly believe that we have the, the, the Eucharist is truly the, um, the, the real presence of Christ. We shouldn't be shabby. We should be beautiful. We should dress up for him. We should, you know, we, we should Oh, and he makes you radiant. He, yes. he literally, like, when you receive the Eucharist and you really know that this is Christ, I've, <laughs> I've had, like, high school kids come up to me after Mass and say, hey, are you high? And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> they're like, yeah, you, you look, like, you look so happy. And yeah, I'm like, happy. Yeah, I just, I just had communion. Were you not there? Yeah, and I yeah. can't say again, like that. All traditionalists are this way, and I no, it, no, you know, absolutely it's, not. It's, it's and it, the thing is, is that like one of one of the things that I say. You said, you know, is this drawing people away? Like I have. I have received, I, I posted this today on Facebook, um, the scripture quote talking about the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? And and one of the fruits is is charity and a subfruit is joy. And and one, I, I did this um, partially because of uh, of my own like spiritual battles that I'm dealing with right now. And I myself uh, can continue to ask, like, am I really serving the truth? Am I causing more scandal? Um, but there is... Uh, a friend of mine who's French reached out to me recently and had said to me, she's here in the States right now. She said, I'm done. I'm done with the Roman rite. I'm done. I'm going either Orthodox or Eastern rite. I'm done. And I asked her why she said exactly that thing is that she was just overwhelmed by the negativity, the lack of joy, um, the anger. And there's just anger. There's just anger when it comes to what we're seeing in the church in the world. But the way that just the vitriol that some individuals really approach things, it drives it's literally driving her from the the Roman right. And it's very sad to me to see. Um but yeah, so that's, that's well. Tell her, saying. tell her, tell her the Melkite door is uh, is open, open. <laughs> and uh, our mass is very traditional, and yeah. it sounds like a king is walking into the room. Yeah, uh, but no, it it is very sad to to see that. But um, so going with something more positive, what yes. do you think? <laughs> Um, should be the duty of everyone because, okay. So when we start this conversation, we kind of talked about the bad things that are happening in the church. And I think that people tend to be, tend to ignore that truth and, or become really silent when faced with that truth. And I think that, um, good Catholics or good Christians need to speak out. What would you recommend? So I think it's a multi-tiered approach. First, I think anytime you're going to do something, you have to pray about it, right? Because Christ talks about the many parts of the one body, and not everybody is called to speak out. Um, Not everybody is called to be a journalist. Not everyone's called Mm. to be a priest, right? We all have our roles to play. And I think if you take a look at, first off, one of the things that I would say is take a look at what Our Lady has said about these times, because Our Lady of Fatima, for example, or Our Lady of Akita, she 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 warned us years and years before. Our Lady at Quito, I think Quito, Ecuador, when Our Lady appeared there in like the 1400s, she spoke about this time. So it's not like she's been silent about what we were going to have to face. And I think the first thing that we have to see is there is a pattern here. 
Our Lady said for everyone to pray, to do penance, and to say the rosary. So that's what everyone can do. Which, by the way, is what the church has been saying the entire time. I mean, yes, John the Baptist right? himself said, repent. Right. Uh, you know, and Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. So, so we, it, we it's not the, like, like a new message. Kind of, no, it isn't. And we have kind of the, it's like, what do we do? Well, this is what we do. That's from heaven. So that, that's what they have said to us. Um, but aside from that, if you really feel in, in a call towards acting, one of the first things I would say is um, in a practical way, um, unfortunately, money speaks volumes. And um, so, uh, you know, when you identify, I like to talk about my, um, my friend, Father Benedict Kiley, who is an amazing priest from England. He has a 501c3, a, a nonprofit called Nazarene.org. And I, I like to use what I um, get in the way of my remuneration from, from what I do in journalism. And I, I send that to Nazarene.org. Why? Because it, his foundation was created to help Christians in the Middle East, like in, in um, Iraq. And he's also in Syria. He's got many friends in Lebanon. Um, but create micro loans in order to help the, um, the church in need over there. So people rebuilding their lives and um, starting new businesses, they can get these loans, these micro loans, very small loans, but enough to be able to start something in order to, you know, provide the dignity. So you're not just giving money to people, you're giving them with the, the purpose of being able to help start their own business. I like Nazarene.org because it's something where I can go and tithe directly instead of giving to the diocese. Why do I say that? Because right now we're seeing that many bishops aren't speaking out, and they're the fathers of the church right now. They're the ones who have to speak out. We have no authority. They had the apostolic authority given to them through the ages, through the direct line of the apostles. They had the responsibility. Christ spoke about hireling shepherds. Mm -hmm. They are our shepherds. If they are hireling shepherds and they leave the flock, what takes place? The flock, you know... Uh, runs amok. And that's what we're seeing right now. Look at what's going on in the in the world. There is a direct um, connection between what goes on in the church, in the Catholic church, and the larger Christian community, and what is happening right now before our eyes in the world. There's a direct connection. And it starts with understanding the dignity of the human person. And until such time that we see that, and again, Nazarene.org, providing dignity to the human person, until we see our shepherds stand up and speak, we cannot, the only things that we can do on our authority is to withdraw the financial support of the different dioceses. So I would say that's one thing that everybody can do. Stop giving just blanket, blanket to, um, uh, to your, your diocese because many of the, that money too um, is being um, taken and put into organizations that are not exactly Catholic or are helping to pay for the sex abuse um, litigation that has gone on against the church. And that's not, we, we saw this past year reports that even Peter's Pence, which um, for people who may not be part of um, the Roman church, I don't know if in, in um, the Malachite right or, um, or the other rights have this, but it's a, um, the, the Pope has something called Peter's Pence, which um, is uh, a collection every year that's supposed to go to the Pope to be used by the Pope for, you know, the poor, especially and for children. Um, they found out this past year that the money was being taken from Peter's Pence and, um, and siphoned off into different uh, investments that helped pay for the Elton John um, documentary, for example, that, that docu-film that came out that has nothing to do with Catholicism. Um, it actually supports some, some things that um, the Catholic Church does not support. So why was money that was being tithed being sent to those things? And still, the question is still being asked. So I, I think it's very aggravating to hear stories like that. Right. But I think really, um, it's just, it's very, very upsetting to see 
to see this, this is the truth. And that's why a lot of people walk away from the church. A lot of right. people, and I, I think priests have a lot to do with this. Right. You know, there's, they're, they're shepherds too, right? They're supposed to be it, the fathers. And you know? I, you know, the thing is we keep saying there's no vocation. Well, there's no vocation because there are thieves in, in the church. Right. But this Why? was not something that we, like, again, it's we went back new. to scripture. Even then, new, yeah, yeah, Christ said it was going to happen, that so there my, would be um, hirelings. I tell you, my mom always says that it's one in 12. That's, mm-hmm. that's the ratio, right? Mm-hmm. 12 disciples, one bad guy. One in 12. Yeah. Yeah. And we hear the stories of the bad more than the stories of the good. Oftentimes, you know I mean? because, yeah, and I, I, I'll, they I'll hurt. promote one, one, well, also like, you know, bad news sells. We know this on, in the media today, which is why in, in my, in my respect, this is why I said, I ask people to keep me, um, keep me honest and keep me accountable to the truth. Why? Because there are people both on the right and the left in journalism, whether it's in secular or otherwise, mm-hmm. who have a, um, who have an agenda. Yeah. And that agenda is based off of either self-promotion. I've seen a lot of that, unfortunately, in the Catholic world and especially in the uh, the more like conservative side in the Catholic mm-hmm. world, self-promotion. But we see also on um, you know the very liberal side, um, self-promotion or um, uh, they have an actual intention and agenda. And I, I think sometimes people just read, especially online now, just read what is coming out and they just take it for what it is. They don't, they, they don't learn, they don't critically think and ask questions. And I think we are at a, a very critical time where we have to ask the questions. Um, you know what? I think sometimes it's, it's subconscious. We talked, you mentioned a wonderful priest in England and my natural reflexes was to talk about the bad things, you know, right. where, well, because it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like there's, but you know, like for, Okay, for as many priests and as many bishops who are either doing bad things or doing things contrary to what the church teaches, then we have someone like Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, who comes out and says very poignant, a very like straightforward way, very Texan way, um, you know, for pro-life things. But he's very simple. I know him. He's very simple um, bishop, but he all he wants to do is lead his flock correctly. He has supernatural faith. That's, that's something Rita that I think a lot of people have to understand that, that we are not just talking about the human factor. We're talking about the spiritual factor as well. If you don't have the spiritual necessity, if you don't understand the basic tenets of what we believe, like why we believe it, that like, and we don't ask those questions. Um, we don't have that spiritual nature why would you stay in a church like this? I mean, heck, I wouldn't be like the yeah. Catholic Church would be the last church I would be in if I didn't believe that you know the we Eucharist. Have the Eucharist, right? The Eucharist is what keeps us going, um, right? Here's so here's my perspective on things, kind of what we talked about earlier. One in twelve people either know Peter and Judas, maybe they know Peter and John, but the, and but they can't name the other ones. Right. right. Well, the other ones were also saints and they were also mm-hmm. doing amazing things in the world. They were also healing people. They were also bringing people to Christ. And I think if we look at the church today, it's kind of the same. You either know right. like the saint, like Saint Sherbet, right? Or you know the Judas of who's stealing the money, who's out there speaking their mind and teaching things that are incorrect about the church and incorrect right. about um, Christ Himself, um, and then all the other ones are kind of lost in the middle. Right. St. Paul actually said, too, um, where where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And I think um, you know when we take a look at history, we see. Um, in in the times of most desperate need in the church, great saints appear. Um, so I think in some ways people are like, well, we're looking for the great saints. Where where are you? Well, and we John are Paul it. II we're said, it. We're, yeah, we're supposed to be the ones. So um, that should answer your your question again. To what do we do? Because there, here's something that I have found, especially in the Roman Rite. There are a lot of people who are talking about the crisis or writing books. I mean. For the love of God, can another be like just stop writing the books? You know, especially yeah. the 
the, the bishop, stop writing the books about the crisis. And do something. Um, and, and do something, right? So in, in, the, in the military, if, if you go to your- um, oh, which, You're command, in the military. We didn't say that. You yeah, yeah, I was. Oh, I was. I was. I'm out now. Um, but you know, um, in the military, when you go up the chain of command, so to speak, and you go to your your superior, it is you are it's grounded like on day one. You don't go to your superior with a problem without uh, recommendations for a solution. Um, you don't. So you don't say, "Oh, look, you don't write a, a book about the leaky uh, roof, the leak in your roof. You fix the roof, and then maybe write the book about how you did it." Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we are seeing right now a bereavement of, uh, of leadership in the church where we should have leadership. So what do we do about it? Well, we first beg God for the leaders. We, we beg him for the leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, uh, we ask him, you know, if, if he says, go, you say, you know, here I am, you know, we, we be, we have to pray though. And I think that that's what our lady said. So. Yeah, it's we hear a lot about the Judas and 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 the Peters, but remember, Judas betrayed Christ, and he came back to the um, Sanhedrin and he threw that money, that blood money, back at them. Right? He he yeah, returned he it. Right? He had a choice at that point to repent, and there's a tradition there that Mary was there. Mary was there, ready to receive both Judas and Peter in her arms and bring her back and bring them back to Christ. Um, Peter, he repented. And that tradition is that he, he sought Mary. Mm. Um, but he had that choice too. I mean, he did just as in, in a way almost worse because it too, you know, as Christ was being led away, he was, he was in the courtyard and asked, right? Do you know this man? I thought you're no. And three times he denied him. Yeah, he didn't like get his anything best friend. out of that, dude. Yeah, he's he been your best friend. He didn't even get like he didn't even get like thirty coins out of that. You know, yeah. in reality, like who did the worst? You know, I mean, it, they knew that like Judas had an issue with 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 money. It's it's something that we know in scripture. So in reality, like G- like Jesus is being condemned. Judas was looking at it. He did it out of fear, you know, and Judas did it out of his his big, you know, uh, thorn Lust in his side. Money. Yeah. And, you know, that's also something really interesting if you want to think about it, because we know later on Peter, there's a tradition that later on Peter, when he was in Rome during the, the persecution of the Christians by Nero, he left Rome. He was told to get out of Rome, and so he 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 escaped Rome, and he was going down the way, the Appian Way, the Appian Tica, and he uh, tradition has it that Christ appeared to him, and 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 Peter saw him. He said, "Quo vadis, Domine?" or "Where are you going, Lord?" And Jesus said to him, as he's walking by him, going back towards Rome, "I'm going back to be crucified again." <laughs> and there's a there's a church on the Appian Way, the Appian Antifa, called the Kovadis Church, that has a stone that has supposedly was the um, where Christ uh, stood in in Rome. And so Peter turned around and he went back to Rome. And we know that later on Peter uh, was crucified upside down for for uh, for Christ. I, as my mom always says, Peter is the most relatable. Like he's the most yes. human character in, in that story. <laughs> yeah. Like this guy, um, and still he headed the church, and still he's you know he's Peter the Rock, right? And he he based his preaching he and he messed up a lot. We hear about this. Like Paul had to go to his face. Like he told Peter off to his face, which is one of the reasons why it's like when people are like, oh no, like. The, the, you don't know, talk about the, the Pope. Don't, or like the Cardinals are, are enemies of the Pope. Let's just remember that, you know, like this has been done in history from the foundation of the church. And so, you know, popes have been wrong before. Um, and, and Peter was wrong, uh, you know, with regards to uh, circumcision, which was one of the things that he was trying to push at the time. And Paul's like, uh-uh, not going to happen. So um, just, it's really interesting to look at these things and say, okay, we're in good company here. So what do we do? I think anyone who's in the leadership position needs to be held accountable by the people close to him before he's held accountable by others. 
Like, yeah. I mean, they're brothers. I mean, uh, it happened. I mean, in, in reality, what is it? Christ also said that, right? He said, if your brother sins against you, um, you know, go tell him. Take, go tell him. And, and, and if your brother listens to you, then what? You've, you've earned a brother. Like, great. But if he doesn't listen to you, he doesn't say, well, just walk away. He says, go take two other witnesses and do it again. And if he doesn't listen to you, then go take him and take him in front of the entire church and, and, and do it as well. And then if he doesn't listen to you, then, then you have to shun him like the money changers because he's not good people and he'll never change. And look at what has happened with Cardinal Zen of Beijing. Cardinal Zen, and I did an exclusive last year, Cardinal Zen of Beijing is the um, the cardinal who is uh, the emeritus cardinal. So he's no longer the active cardinal, but he's kind of the active cardinal because no one right now is running the sea of Beijing. So he's really mm -hmm. been out there advocating for the church in China. And Cardinal Zen went last year to Rome after the Vatican signed a secret deal with the Chinese. We still don't know what the Chinese gave the Vatican or what the Vatican gave, gave the, Chinese. the Chinese. We do know that the underground church, the result has been the underground church has been sorely persecuted and bishops have been removed from their, their office, including one bishop, Bishop Go, I think is his last name. Um, bishop Go was actually made to sleep on the streets by the, by the Chinese communist government. And the Vatican has not said a word. So Cardinal Zen went last year to the Vatican and said, I want to see the Pope. I need to advocate for my people. And he finally was able to do it after a lot of runaround. He did it at a dinner because he was not able to see the Pope outside of a dinner. And even then, like he presented these questions to the Pope and he never received an answer. Six months later, what does he do? He went to the Cardinals, same questions, same motive. He asked the cardinals to advocate for him. Nothing has been done. So what is he now doing? He's going to the church in, in the world and saying, help the Chinese church. It's disappearing. And not only the Chinese church in the mainland China, but Hong Kong. We see what's going on within the politics right now in Hong Kong. Like I said, what happens in the church is also reflected in society as a whole. And in policy and politics, are the Chinese at all afraid of the Catholic Church anymore? No. So it's um, it's a it's a it, to me what we see of what what has been done by uh, Cardinal Zen is exactly what we we hope to see being done by the cardinals um, in Rome in in asking, for example, where is the the report on uh, the disgraced Cardinal Theodore McCarrick? that was promised to us. He was a sex abuser in, in 2018 when the um, Pennsylvania grand jury report came out. Shortly after that, he was named by an accused, by uh, someone who he abused for I think 20 plus years. And then that, that in individual came out. As soon as that happened, um, Archbishop Vigano who was the nuncio of the Vatican to the United States during this time, during this abuse time, came out and witnessed that the Vatican knew about this and all of it. It was a huge, huge, we call it the summer of shame in 2018. This past year, the Vatican had a synod, a very, like a three-day meeting in the Vatican to address the sex abuse crisis in the church. It was only three days versus another synod that they did on the Amazon that was, I think, a month. Only three days to what's going on in the, in, the, in the sex abuse crisis in the church. It was like a blink in the eye. And at the end, they promised a report on Theodore McCarrick and what he was involved with. Who, by the way, was involved with um, Rita setting up the negotiations between the Chinese and the Vatican. He was involved with that. He was deeply involved with that. So the question has to be at this point, Where's that? Where's that? Um, that account? Where's that? That report? It was. It was promised by the Vatican to be delivered in December. I think the bigger question is how do we change that leadership? Because it's not. You don't right. vote people in. It's not a democracy. We're not a democracy. We're not. It, so how do we do it? We do it. Pray first. I think pray, pray, pray and beg, beg our Lord. Because beg this our Lord is because 
It's terrible. And I think, I think that if there's something that people need to get out of this episode is one, pray. There's, there are terrible things happening in the church, but, but the entire reason why I'm actually doing this show is because I want to point to the great things that are happening. And if there's something that I need them to take out of this episode, yes, there are terrible, terrible things, but there are people like Brie out there doing amazing work to make sure that we know this and we advocate for the truth. And um, on the other side, there are people like me who use their talent or, you know, like the talents that God's given them to, to advocate for Christ and to share the fact that no, God is love. It's not politics. It's not a dirty Mm -hmm. game of politics. And if we want to actually change, we have a higher order to go to, and that is God himself. And I personally have so much hope. There's so much hope, but how do we do this? How, how do we draw people in if we're not, um, if we're not focused on the truth, right? we have to acknowledge that there is a lot of suffering right now going on in the church, but you and I have, have chosen to stay and we, and, Mm -hmm. and not only have we chosen to stay, but we have a joy about it. And we should, we should have people ask what is, what is the cause of our hope as St. Paul says? It's the the biggest joy of my life. It's the best thing in my life is the fact that I'm Catholic. The best thing in my life is the fact that I could receive the Eucharist and that is Christ himself. There's nothing greater. There's absolutely nothing greater than than the Eucharist. There's nothing more joyful in the world than being with God in heaven on earth. Right. And um, so that, I am going to tell you a story like about what we can do. Um, A few years ago, I was in Canada and I walked into mass and they had, you know, like the water uh, thing, but they had a huge one. And so I dipped my hand in and um, I noticed the ripples. I know it's, you know, it's just water. So you have there's ripples, obviously, but I noticed how right. they kept on going until they hit the um, the end, right, mm-hmm. uh, or the edge. So I started thinking, well, whatever positive or negative thing, whatever we do, it affects people around us, from the biggest thing to the smallest thing, and the radius of that ripple um, changes depending on what it is that we're doing, but the little things, Mother Teresa says, we can't all do great things, but we can do little things with great love. Right. The little things that we can do with great love can change the ripple and can affect people around us. Right. And like, for example, in my spare time, when I'm not working, I do like, for example, I do this show. I do, um, I do the daily one minute videos about, uh, about Jesus or I write blogs and, um, and I do that when I'm able to. And, uh, but that for me creates some kind of a positive ripple. And that for me is, you know, part of my talents, part of the things that I've learned, part of me implementing the education that I have. And for you, that's, that's journalism. And for someone else that may be, you know, cooking for the homeless, that may be uh, whatever, packing lunch for other people, whatever the case is, we can all do like little things and people are outside people are going to look at the church through you. Right. We don't, we don't close ourselves off. Like we were talking about earlier. We, we don't close ourselves off because Christ said not to. Um, And, and it is impossible for you if you have a true understanding and the, the true gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for you to stay silent. Just like you were saying, like when you're at a party, you inevitably talk about God. It's, a, it's impossible to, to stay silent about the cause of your joy. Um, it's only possible to do so when you place in front of, um, in front of him blocks and you place your own will in front of him, mm-hmm. uh, in, in front of his. And I think that's something that people have to kind of look at in in the scheme of things uh and and keep asking yourselves over and over those of you who are listening right now who are not catholic why is it that there are people who are so impassioned about the faith like young people why are they impassioned about the faith right now and when we know that there has been you know pederasty and pedophilia and sex abuse and financial crisis and all of that are we part of a church of men or is there more because we're not part of a, you know, a, a, you know, a mega church that follows a pastor. There's something else. And, you know, Rita, you were talking about 2000 years of history 
within the Lebanese church. Don't you want to know a little bit more about that? Like, why would people have died for the church that is still the same, still the same rights? Very little has changed in the Malachi right. Like, mm. what, what, why would people stay for a faith of man? Why would they want to involve every facet of their life and culture, you know, traditions, family life, um, language? Why would they want that if it was just about a man? There's got to be more. And it's got to push so much more through, you know, scandal and, and people trying to usurp. And look, Rita, we know this for a fact. Um, men, there are bad people in this world. There are people who, who intend, who have bad intentions, who intend to try to change things from within. They do it on the outside in war, in war. So it could be on the external, trying to change people's thoughts by forcing them. But it's, it's, it's more lasting because most of the time people don't want to be told what to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's more lasting to try to change from within. Mentality. Change, change from within. Try to infiltrate something and change the mindset of the people who believe. Absolutely. And we see that in, in politics and we're seeing it in the church. So what's a final word that you can tell the listeners today? A final word is um, my motto in journalism, which is never trust and always verify. Don't trust me. Don't trust Rita. Don't give us blanket trust. Instead, ask questions. Critically think. Because no matter what Rita or I say, you have to believe by your own intellect and your own free will. And so never trust when it comes to journalism. Always ask for verification and proof and facts and evidence. And we have that in spades in the faith as well. So ask the questions. And history. Who is this person saying... Uh, such and such thing and what it, what does their background look like who is Rita yes. has she been authentic all this time where she now coming up and saying something that's different than what she said before and even then I, I 100% Ask agree with you yeah and and even then what I say comes from my objective reality right like my experiences have influenced what I'm saying and I end up learning from people all the time, honestly, right. and especially when they ask questions. I'm like, oh, I really have to think about this. Like I, you know. Um, Always ask the questions. <laughs> Always be that doubting Thomas because see what at the end of the day when you read about the scriptures and what happened when everybody was telling St. Thomas, oh, Thomas, we've seen Christ risen. He said, I will not believe until what? I put my hand, my finger into the, uh, the nail marks and, the, and, and my hand into his side. And what is it that Christ said? He did say, Thomas, you know, you know, don't, don't be a doubter, but believe. But he said that after he allowed that to happen mm-hmm. and Thomas put his hands in the, his finger in, in the nail marks and his hands in the side. So and be that Thomas doubting did, Thomas yeah. if you need it. And Thomas didn't doubt afterwards. No, he didn't. Yeah. He believed. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much, Brie. This comes like, I really don't want to end this conversation, but um, I kind of have to. So yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for being here on the show with us today. If people want to connect with you, how do they do that? Best way of doing it is I'm on social, especially on Twitter. You can follow me at Brie, B-R-E-E, A as in Alpha, Dale, D-A-I-L. And uh, that's the best way of doing it is on Twitter. And I, I tweet a lot and it's mostly news, but I really look forward to engaging with you all. Awesome. And for those of you who want to connect with me, uh, at the word with Rita and uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, on everywhere that you could possibly think of. I'm probably on it, uh, except YouTube. It's at Rita Saikali. Uh, and uh, that is it for today. I will be with you guys next week. 